You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. around Circle of Hope are answering questions that people ask them. Um, Julie, was Julie here? No, Ben was here. Ben was here earlier this, this season, and we, we didn't ask me anything. You could ask him any question. We're ending our season the same way. I, you might be familiar with the terrible website called Reddit. Um, <laughs> and on that website, uh, sometimes famous people will have, like, an ask me anything. I only, I only know, Jer- I only Watch Jerry Seinfeld was the one that I paid attention to, so that's the only one I participated in. However, um, th- I'm not famous or Seinfeld, but there's uh, <laughs> want to do a similar thing here. Mainly, main, and the main idea is you can ask questions, we can talk. There's something to be there's some there's some community to be had, and it isn't necessary. It's it's it, it, I want it to kind of go both ways, and that that's that's how I think we should live our lives too. So this might be a little bit unusual for you, but, and, and if it is, I'm sorry. I, I hope that we can do it for, for, uh, for the next little while. So um, I'd like to keep track of the questions that people ask in case there's a reason to expound upon them at a later time. So I never prepare a volunteer for this, but if someone would like to write down the questions that people ask and then supply them to me later, that'd be helpful. But obviously, I didn't ask you, so I, I'm just hoping this happens. So maybe someone will. You got this, homie? Yeah, there we go. It was a teacher last time that did it too, so I appreciate it. Best students. Um, so does that make sense? You can ask me anything you want. Um, I'm uh, just to give you a little background. I've been a pastor in Circle of Hope for nine years. I have a Master of Divinity from Palmer Theological Seminary. Um, my parents are Egyptian immigrants. I'm a first-generation um, immigrant, a child immigrant, so I was born in the United States, that's how it works. Um, I know a thing or two about uh, a variety of subjects that I don't want to list out right now, so that's a very vague thing. Um, but, yeah, is that good enough? Do you, do you, want, do you want more uh, stimulation from me, or are you ready to get started? Yeah, Martha. Ready. <laughs> Martha's known me for... Uh, 14 years or something. Well, it, I just was thinking, are there, are, there any, are there ever times when you feel, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna phrase the question correctly, but like tokenized as a person of color by us, the church, as our pastor among uh, so-called white, the rest of them are all white <laughs> pastors. Are there times when you feel like that and or that you are, I don't know, have to represent in a certain way or something? That's a good and question. Is there, is there a way that um, you can avoid that? You know, I'm grateful to be in Circle of Hope because Circle of Hope is not a uh, church who is who the sin for, for which the sin of racism is lost. So that, that you know, we generally are trying to be an anti-racist church. 
Um, that's one of the reasons why it was appealing to me, because I wanted to be anti-racist, right? Skin folk ain't always kin folk. That's what we say, right? So just because you look the part doesn't mean you are the part, right? So there's plenty of non-anti-racist people of color in the world. Sorry to break it to you. I think one of them is the uh, HUD secretary. Um, <laughs> that's why I usually write things down, by the way. Um, anyway, anyway. Um, so I like being part of an anti-racist church, and I think that the white people in Circle of Hope generally know about the sin of racism, and I appreciate that. Um, this body in particular hasn't specifically tokenized me, um, though I've experienced kind of racial microaggressions, which is a fact of life for me, so I don't, I don't burden specific people here with the microaggressions that I've experienced. That's just what it means to live in the United States as a person of color, and so, there could be less here, like per capita or something, they, but, but they still exist and that's just part of how I deal with it. I don't necessarily articulate them very much because unless, unless I know you're gonna get it, right? I don't, I don't really see my own experience as a teaching opportunity for you. So I also don't tokenize myself. Like, um, more often than not though, I think that Probably the, 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 the most common experience that I have is that my, uh, so I'm looking around the room right now, we're, do, we're, we're doing okay in terms of uh, people of color in the room, at least as far as I can, as far as I judge from my perspective, but kind of in a sea of whiteness, sometimes my race isn't even seen. So it's less about being highlighted to curb white guilt, sometimes it's just ignored because the white people don't think it's enough or something like that, or I'm not this enough or that enough, or I'm a member of the institution, you know, the, the ruling elite of Circle of Hope because uh, <laughs> I'm part of, uh, I guess, the pastor's team. Um, <laughs> so that's more my experience, um, honestly, within this body, um, because we don't, we don't, um, you know, I, I don't want to be tokenized, but it probably it is a cool thing that you have a brown pastor. You know, I think that's something that you can talk about and not and not be afraid to do that. It's not that um, you know, friend to friend, it doesn't feel that bad. You know, to do it, and I don't I don't mind being in public about that, um, whatever that means for people. You know, but I've definitely seen tokenization happen around me. Just recently, I was talking to somebody about something. And they basically said, oh yeah, we got two people of color on our leadership team. And I was like, that's your answer to being anti-racist right now? That's what you said? Like, that's like, okay. Not our leadership team, the, the group that I was talking to. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Okay, well, we're not talking about this anymore. You know, I don't, why should I? I said, there's, there's landmines all over here. So, yeah, in short, that's my answer. Is that helpful? Yeah. Any more? That was, that was good. Good warm up there. <laughs> Karina? I do another two-parter. It's going to be good. She did. She is your fourth question tonight. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I'm happy with it. Go ahead. Okay, so.
Which we need to So, I'll do my best at, okay. at this from from my context. Yeah. So I just want just want to acknowledge that at least for the second part of your question, um, expectations for uh, men and women in particular are going to be really different as far as how we look. So my my perspective is going to be influenced by uh, the women that I know, but I'm, I'm speaking kind of from what I've learned more than what I've experienced. So that's kind of how I'll approach this. Um, I do think God can heal us of iniquities and of maladies, but I don't think that's God's main tool to show God's power in the world. And I think that the New Testament in particular shows us that. Jesus sometimes saves people and sometimes doesn't. And sometimes it's hard to tell why it happens and why it doesn't. So there's a mysterious quality to that behavior that I don't have very clear answers for. But to be honest, I pray for my friends healing when they're ill. You know, that's what I do. And if it doesn't work out the way that I prayed for, I don't burden, I don't fault God with that. That's my relationship with God that we're talking about. I don't have this, uh, you could have done something and you didn't. Um, I, I, I live in more mystery because I don't know exactly how God's divine healing power works or when it works or why it works. Um, so that's taken some uh, time to develop in me, but those... Uh, kind of the problem of pain in the world, which is the fundamental kind of philosophical question that comes when you believe in a benevolent and all-powerful God. That, because I don't necessarily use that formula in seeing God, that helps me work out some of these philosophical problems, but that we're struggling with them at all is, is, is normal. And people who have believed in God have thought about this forever, you know? So I do think God can heal, and I think the Bible uh, shows us that, and the Bible's also confusing about that. It's hard to know um, exactly how God is working in the world, right? Sometimes people point to the book of Job, for example, which was probably based on a very early story, even if it uh, was was uh, complete, uh, finally composed fairly late. It, I don't know why I'm telling you about dating, but dating biblical texts, not dating human beings. <laughs> I'm more proficient in one than the other. Um, you can guess which one. Um, but that story tries to talk about God's authority and God's power being uh, above kind of our problems. That doesn't really work for me all the time. Like, so Job's God killed all of Job's kids. And then Job's like, what's up with that? <laughs> like, why'd you do that? And then God basically responds with, how dare you ask the inventor of the hippopotamus that question, right? And so it could be satisfying within a certain framework, but for me, it's just like, well, let's just, let's just uh, we'll skip that chapter and go to the end to see if something better comes up, you know? So I, I kind of live in that environment where it's that kind of mysterious and I'm okay with living in that fluidity. Um, I think God does call us to be a whole, complete people, and that involves our physical health, you know. Um, our emotional needs, our physical needs, our spiritual needs, I think God wants us to be whole about that. And I think God is authoring what that means. Um, and sometimes that intersects with how 
Western culture or even Eastern culture or the culture that surrounds us defines those things. But I, I, I would say that the, the culture's way of defining that isn't an adequate way to discern what God wants. Sometimes it can be congruent. So sometimes uh, medical science can tell us how to live a healthy lifestyle and that's congruent with what God is doing. Other times, the market is selecting for different things and different things that it values and we try to conform ourselves to that without having a communal kind of discernment process and that can really mess people up. And so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to be as conscious as I can as I raise two daughters in particular about how they're all gonna work this out, right? Like today, Elaine was learning how to do sit-ups, which she can do like half of one. You know, she's working it out. And personally, I think like, okay, physical education, sit-ups, that all sounds good. You know, so far, so good, right? We're not into the danger area. But she, there's definitely ideas that she gets even about the world. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's sort this out. But don't be all weird about it, right? So like, I, like this is what I'm saying to myself, right? Like, how do I... Okay, how, how, how do I approach this, even as a father? I don't, I don't I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, a libertarian person in a sense, where I'm like, okay, you can dress however you want, as long as it's your choice and no one's telling you to do that, or you're you know, not doing it for someone else and it makes you feel confident, go ahead and wear that. You know, if you want to wear that to a job interview, maybe that's, just think about what can happen. I don't know. You know, like, you know that's the, this is like the real process that I'm having with her, you know. Um, so... Well, she's not interviewing for jobs. <laughs> but, but it's a live issue, right? And I'm trying to, let's, I'm trying to discern what God has for us and um, when it corresponds with the world's messages and when it doesn't. You know, I don't always think they're in conflict, but I think they often are. So, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, that's my thought anyway. Yeah, Peter. Uh, I guess on that note, like with all of the systems, cultures, ideas, and things that are in place now that didn't exist in biblical times, and you hear like some people say, "Oh, like this is clearly Christian and in the Bible," or "This is clearly like not Christian." Like, how do you actually go through the discerning process of like thinking? Is this something that's like life-giving and Christ-like? The Bible is a good tool to use for discerning that question. Um, sometimes it gives us explicit um, wisdom about that, but sometimes it teaches us how to be wise. And so it's not very didactic all the time. When I say didactic, I mean it doesn't always teach us a specific applicable thing because most of the Bible's teachings are not directly applicable um, because we're living in a whole different time, right? Like, um, just for example, when Jesus says, um, Peter, put away your sword, right? Whoever lives by the sword dies by the sword. I guess you, you need to like translate that to also mean put away your gun. So you need to bring it into your context. And that takes some work, right? You're trying to figure out not only how to apply the teaching of the Bible in our current time, which I think starts by understanding it when it was, uh, to whom it was first written, but you're also learning how to be wise because you're learning how people in different time periods imagined God and why they did. Does that make sense? 
So that really helps us, gives us permission to imagine God together. And so the Bible is teaching me that discerning the will of God is a group process, which is why we're organized like a community, because we're figuring that out together. It's not just what the Bible tells us, it's how the Bible says things, right? So that helps me discern what is Christian today and what isn't. So I'm learning from the imagine how, how people that have been following God for a long time or the earliest followers of God imagined God, and I'm learning how to imagine God now as a result of that. Does that make sense? So I'm trying to collect, um, I'm trying to do what the Bible does more than what the Bible says. Is that is that clear at all? Yeah, Charles. Alright. Uh, just focus a little bit of the business piece. So, um, what's your favorite Pokemon on Pokemon Go? Okay. <laughs> what's your favorite Pokemon? And, and, you got a good question. Pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? <laughs> um, I think about the first question like every day. <laughs> to be honest with you, um, and I was uh, I was playing today against my friend, and we're we're in a cup together that's sorted by certain types of Pokemon. You can only use like four types. You can use like flying, psychic, fighting, or ghosts. Those are the three. And I was uh, dwindling my team down because I needed to, I, I was trying to find the best team I could have. And today I couldn't, um, I couldn't let go of Frostlass was the Pokemon I couldn't let go of. That even though it's she, she, and it is a she by the way, yeah. didn't quite fit into the team I wanted Frostlass, which is an ice ghost style. Yeah. That's what that is. <laughs> um, and I'm for pineapple and pizza. And a general, my general rule, my general rule for pizza is even bad pizza is good pizza. So, that, no, let me just rephrase. Even bad pizza is good. That's what I think. I don't think it's impossible to have bad pizza. So, even the worst. I know. I know. I'm, just, I know, I'm, I'm ecumenical. I'm inclusive. So, I was at Dutch Wonderland yesterday, finishing a slice of pizza. My daughter rejected, and. In, in my detractor's defense, it bordered on like, okay, this is not, this is pretty bad. <laughs> I still finished it, but yeah. By the way, pineapple on pizza is fine. It's usually paired with something like Canadian ham, and people have been mixing pork and fruit forever. It's all over the world. Like, if you have any tacos uh, al pastor, they have pineapples right there with the pork. So, it's not some big controversy. What's that? The internet likes to get mad. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's okay. If they get mad at pineapple, it's better than other things. Yeah. So, mad at pineapple. Uh, hypothetically, if um, just tomorrow there was no more need for pastors, we won't go into why. Let's just say like, <laughs> you're like, you don't have a job. Or let's say you move to another city and uh, there's no pastor. You're anymore. presuming there is a need now? Basically, the question is, like, what would be your, like, alternative job starting now if, like, this door was just closed for some weird reason to continue being a pastor in any church? I used to be a school teacher, so that's something that I'm still interested in. I used to teach high school. I used to love teaching high school. 
I would love to be the advisor for a high school newspaper. That would be very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd have a great time doing that. Um, so that's that. today, that's my answer. Mr. Gates was my high school newspaper advisor, and I had a good relationship with him. I loved being in the pub room, so that's, that's a good memory that I have. Um, that'd be really fun. I thought about education policy, too, so that's something I could, I could do. If I wasn't a crit, am I still a, a, a believer in this hypothetical? Is this vocationally, like, working if you ask an Enneagram 3, like, short of moral conviction, what they would do, yeah. the answers get dark and bad. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to know, so I'm not going to go there today. But, like, it doesn't involve, it involves a lot of money and sex without God. It's like, how I'm still, but I, newspaper high school advisor, I'm still a Christian. <laughs> Just in case you <laughs> Go ahead. Thank you. Oh, man. Uh, you just finished your master's. Uh, what's something that was meaningful or has been meaningful to you as a pastor in getting your, your degree um, in Christ Center and then something like meaningful to you personally? A very a meaningful thing that I learned in being a pastor at seminary is that seminary really augments being a pastor, but it doesn't really teach you how to be a pastor. Um, and I really feel bad for 26-year-olds that don't have any kind of ministerial experience that are just launched into some, like, rural Iowa Methodist church to just do their thing with whomever they find. That sounds like I would not do that, right? Like, that would be a terrible thing for me. Um, so I, I really learned to value the community. What I learned in Circle of Hope is incomparable to what I learned in seminary. And they're definitely different things in my, in my viewpoints. Sometimes the things I learned in seminary are immediately applicable here and help a lot. Um, so there's, I'm not discounting the education or seminaries at large, which are generally struggling all over the country. But what I learned here was more valuable to me. Um, and, I, and, and I know you know, there's so much that's missing when you don't actually do the work, you know. Like when you, when I was studying education, we had a, a student teaching here. And sometimes seminaries do that with CPE and other internships and so on. But getting on the ground and actually doing it is really helpful. Um, and it really kind of helps you work it out. And I think, yeah, so that's, that's one thing that I value as a pastor. Um, personally, I, I love, uh, I love being forced to read um, things that I probably wouldn't have elected to read otherwise. So that was a graduate school is forced reading is basically the summary of it, and so I liked that, and I liked I liked the challenge, um, and I liked the that I could be I could put in a lot of rigor into something, um, and experience some gratification from that. I developed a lot of personal relationships with students and with professors. That was uh, helpful. I got a lot of personal affirmation in seminary too, which was gratifying to me. Um, so those are some things that I personally received that answers your question. Yeah, go ahead, Kristen. <laughs> um, so we've talked a couple times recently about peer reality, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if you can go into the library of your brain 
Well, there, there's, there's a lot, right? So, so queer theology um, is not just a theology about queer people or for queer people. And when we say queer, generally we're talking about LGBTQIA, LGBT, uh, right? That's the, that's the big uh, umbrella. So queer theology isn't about that. Queer theology is a way to do theology. Does that make sense? So you're queering all the lines. It's a non-binary type of thing, and that's really, uh, that's unlocking, that's achieving. And then when, when you learn that, you read the Bible and you say, all these things happen on an unusual kind of, uh, non, uh, these, these blurred lines, like things happen at dusk, right? In twilight, in the sunrise. There's miracles that happen on the Jordan River that, that's between the wilderness and civilization, right? All these things are happening in the Bible that, 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 are, that are queer, right? Jesus, Jesus, in, in, the incarnate God-man, uh, definitely queering the line there. There's something that's unusual happening in this uh, God person. And we've spent 2,000 years talking about this unusual God that we uh, serve, right? This queer God that we serve. Queer could just be unusual. It's strange. It's weird. Something interesting is happening. That's different than what we think. And so for me, the more non-binary, the more both and we are, the better our it, it, it creates a, splay, a, a, a place for a faith to grow because it's so non, um, it's so not concrete, and that kind of a tilled soil grows faith. That's my that's my viewpoint. If it's too, if the soil is too, what we were watching an Amish dude yesterday in Lancaster till soil, like four horses, and then he has this whole thing, and you know, talking to a landlord, what's he doing? You know, he's t what's that? <laughs> Oh yeah, you would know. You're like half Amish. Um, and, and I'm all Amish. I'm just not Amish. Oh. <laughs> You're, yeah. Um, so till the soil, right? Get 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 it loosened up. I think that's what queer theology does. But then there's interesting things in the Bible, like uh, the writer of Genesis one. Um, Eloist says, describe night and God created night and day. And of course, we know night and day have a spectrum, right? It's not just night or daytime, it moves in a spectrum. And, and God also created a man and woman, right? So maybe there's a spectrum there too. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. These things are working at in, in non binary contexts. And I think the writers of the Bible are definitely living in that environment. And I think up until fairly recently, we were we were much more comfortable with that kind of flow. Um, yeah. So. And it, it actually taught me how how how. In its theology, Circle of Hope has a lot of queer theology and how we work things out. And so it actually fits into what we're doing and how we do things a lot. We don't know, often use that language or that grammar, but there's no there's no real reason not to. Um, especially if it's suitable and helpful, you know. Um, it may not always be, but for me, yeah, we talk a lot about both andness, and that's that's kind of what we do. Um, not very obedience-driven people. Not very. Uh, you haven't noticed. Not very uh, didactic. Not very doctrinaire. That's good. Like I was thinking today, we. 
Doctrine and theology are about imagining God, but we made them into sortable facts to prove God. And that's such, such a, uh, um, it's, it denudes the value of it. So this imagination that I think queer theology brings up is helpful to me. So, yeah. So, sorry, your, your response to that question inspired a question. Uh, my wife recently had a brush with the hate pastor. Have y'all met the hate, hate pastor yet? No. Okay. Philly now has a hate pastor? A hate pastor? Yes. He Who, hates pastors or hates people? No. Uh, he sets up on a corner uh, in Philly or at a parade or at an Eagles game or uh, he did it at my wife's school uh, where they fill out the proper forms and stuff like that to preach. But they come in with super high controversial signs like a woman's place is in the kitchen, you know, and then while people are walking by, like my wife is walking by and he called her a whore. What? And, and it's just like, you don't know me, dude. And so what they do is they get people riled up so the people will punch them and then they sue the people and that's how they make money. And so they're going all around Philly, like when I went back to find out what's up with this dude, you know, there's like a people and they meet in a secret location somewhere on the suburbs of Philly. So given uh, you're going to some sports game and already riled up, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Hate Pastor and his crew are outside of this game, uh, what of all the different possibilities of things that you could do, would you ignore or would you respond? And what way would you, do you think you would respond that would be subversive to their manipulation? So I, this may surprise you, I've had run-ins with these kinds of people in my life. Now, most of the time I ignore them. Just to be honest, I don't engage them. It's too intense and crazy. Uh, Westboro Baptist Church uh, protested at my high school when I was growing up. Westboro is the uh, um, they're, 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 I don't want to say it, but they, they have very offensive signs, and you know, you know, they take gay people broad and island. You know, like okay, this is too. Uh, there's so much speculation <laughs> for that. But they protested at my high school. We, speaking of my high school newspaper, um, they, they barely got any turnout. So Mr. Gates didn't allow us to write this headline. Here's Mr. Gates again coming back. But we, we, the head, we wanted the headline to be Bend Over Westboro. Um, <laughs> so that was, the, that was the mind of the, that's pretty, that's pretty great. That, that could have won a Pulitzer. Um, <laughs> Because we just ignore them, like whatever, you guys, you know, no one cares about you. So that's, that's, that's one response, right? Um, one time I was walking at 12th and Locust, one of my kids goes to school there, and then these Planned Parenthood protesters, um, they're always there doing something. I mean, they're just, uh, they're not very coherent, so I try not to like get engaged with them. Like the messaging is all over the place, you know? Like one time they had an All Lives Matter uh, sign, and I was like, oh, you guys are just very disorganized. <laughs> I don't think you know where you are. Um, but then one of them talked to Elaine, 
like directly. And that really got me like hot. And I started yelling at them. And and they were all dudes, of course. So I, I, I was just I was I got into something with them, and I was like, that was a waste of time. But but I had that reaction, right? One time I told. Uh, um, Maybe, maybe we can do this. I always wanted to counter-protest them, too. Like, I'll bring my own signs that say, like, um, God loves you instead, or something like that, as, as opposed to God hates you, right? Um, that might be one thing that I do. So I've ignored, I've engaged, I counter-protest, too. One time I was at, when I was a student, I'm looking at these two students. Yeah, they do. I went up to them, and, because uh, they had all this, all these pamphlets and stuff, and I started taking all the pamphlets and throwing them away. That's, that's what I did as a student. And then they said to me, can we talk to you about these pamphlets? And I said, no, I'm not trying to waste my time. I'm trying to waste your resources. That's what I'm doing. And then they, they, they shushed me away. So, yeah, I mean, I'm probably going to engage, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, that, that's, I think, in, in telling the story, that's, that's what I did repeatedly. I have a hard time not, like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't. Can't. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I have a lot of stories like that where I just, my passion gets the best of me in those situations. Yeah, like, one time I was arguing with a cop who was harassing my wife. As far as I was concerned, and she was trying to push me away, and I couldn't stop. I kept going at it. I kept thinking, this is how you die. This is how people like you die. Stop fighting it. Stop doing it. Don't do it. It's midnight. I'm like 17 in Jefferson. But I couldn't stop. So I, my impulse control could use some work, but I would definitely engage. They call my wife a whore. Like, I, I, I could assault them, and then I would tell the officer, I was provoked. This is, there's no charge here. This is direct provocation, right? <laughs> it's like when Buzz Aldrin punched out the moon truther, right? Oh, that's right. Sorry, sorry.
Is there a particular kind of food that you will not try and cook? And is there a certain food that you just There's nothing I really hate, but there are some flavors that I'm not that accustomed to that I see as a challenge. Like, I've tried to cook with a, a Thai dried shrimp a lot, and the flavor is just a little too intense for me. And I can't, the funk really is like, we didn't grow up with this in Egypt, so I can't, it's hard, I gotta really develop it. And then like, I often cook for my family, so part of me is like, well don't just give them food they don't like, just so they learn how to like it, right? <laughs> so, so that's like, some of those flavors can be challenging for me, but I, I'm pretty adventurous, so there's, Probably, I, there's nothing I hate, I would say, you know. I, I don't even, I don't, I don't uh, stick my nose out of fast food even. I like fast food. So, not a lot of hate, food that I hate. Um, and there's often, there's often an occasion for something, you know. Um, and, yeah, I don't, I don't try to make sushi at home. That's a general rule. Because I just don't think I can get a sushi-grade fish that's as good as they can get. So, like, um, and I also don't buy cheap sushi. So like, I'm just gonna, this is a special thing, and that's, I probably can't pull it off. I've dabbled with some raw fish, but that's one thing that I think I definitely eat better out than in. Um, I think, yeah, that's, I've thought about this before, so thanks, thanks for reminding me. Martha. How great should go, sorry, asking. Okay, so I'm here. Oh, Grant, go ahead. Um, real, 
Um, I could still be influenced by the teachings of Christianity and of Jesus if I thought they were good. However, I would still pursue meaning because in the camp between the nihilist and the absurdist, I live in absurdism more. So I would still pursue meaning even if it was pointless, right? One of my favorite memes has an, a nihilist saying, stop the pursuit of meaning to an absurdist. And the absurdist says, no. And then the nihilist says, but there is no meaning. And the absurdist says, I don't care. And the nihilist says, that doesn't make any sense. And the absurdist says, too bad. Right? So that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I, that, yeah, right? What's that? Where did you find this movie? It's on Reddit. Yeah, I love it. full circle. But that's, that's, that's how it works, right? I want to keep pursuing meaning because even if it is absurd to pursue meaning, I still live a better life pursuing it than not pursuing it. I still want to live in wonder and confusion and mystery because even if my uh, philosophy about how all of this came to be isn't true, it still did in some mysterious way. And so I never want to, I still want to experience the world as a child does, right? In awe and wonder about everything that's around me. Right? If I walked into a forest, I think I said this before, and I saw an orb, I'd wonder how it got there. But I don't ask the question, how did the forest get here? I want to still live in that mystery. And even if the philosophy that I uh, subscribe to that, that tells me how this all came to be isn't true, I still am going to wonder and, and ponder, and even ponder my very existence and the meaning that I apply to things. And so, um, the French existentialists, right? Sartre Camus influenced me in that way too. So I'm open to that, you know. And then going back to Kierkegaard, I always have to make a leap of faith. There always has to be that, even when all the data tells me otherwise. So does that help you? Yeah. Bethany and Snook? There's no school um, tomorrow, sorry. The best Facebook meme page is, yes, theology, well that, that goes without saying with me, is um, Howard Waji and memes for pacifist teens. I'm serious, that dude is awesome. Um, and the things he said, I mean he's very, yeah, he's very funny to me and amusing, so that's my favorite, um, that's my favorite, um, public, I shall say, group that you can access. I'm in a bunch of other meme pages that are private and secret that I like too. <laughs> nothing, nothing, and they're, they're, they're all, nothing nefarious. Don't, don't you worry. <laughs> Alright, so no, you've been last one, okay? Okay, thank you. Um, one's like a go-to album for you, like uh, music that just like really speaks to you. And you want to just go into your family. What do you put to think the B-side of Abbey Road is one of the best pieces of musical, a pop musical composition ever. So I love that. Um, I, I listen to that a lot. Um, I also really love uh, The Bends by Radiohead. That's my favorite Radiohead record, specifically. 
Um, even though we even though we know today and okay computer are like better, I still like the Benz more. That that, that that's definitely a neutral um, record to me. End of the 36 is probably, let's just put that in too. So Wu-Tang Clan always has a place in my heart as well. So those three, or Illmatic by, uh, Illmatic is really, is really meaningful to me too. So those are my, uh, you know, just trying to, those, those are that's probably where I go. And honestly, The Queen is Dead by the Smiths is one of them too. But Morrissey got crazy, if you ever noticed. Like something's wrong, I, so part of me is like, I don't know, like, I think you're canceled. Like all the way back <laughs> So, 1985, so I'm not like, right? Is it, can we still listen to Morrissey or no? I don't know. What? Maybe Justice Smith's not a solo record? Right. Uh, no, right now, he became some crazy alt-right person, and I'm like, okay, man. It's too much. People in Mexico do Yeah, so, yeah, the Benz, the, the B-side of Abbey Road, and the 36, and uh, Illmatic. Thanks for asking Cool. Thanks for doing this. This is fun. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.